Our scripture today is from Mark chapter 9, verses 2 through 9. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one about what, had he, about what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. This is the word of God for the people of God. Praise be to God. Hey, it's Valentine's Day. You knew that. You knew that. Is this a day that you love or a day that you loathe? My social media these last days has revealed at least three different camps among my friends and acquaintances. Some people love Valentine's Day. They are celebrating. They are getting roses and chocolate and planning a fancy dinner or whatnot. These are the people that love to lavish their significant other or people in their life with fun surprises and to say, hey, you're so special to me. And then there are the people who want to recognize that they have a great spouse or partner or their kids or their parents, but they don't want to spend a lot of money. So they write sweet posts or they tell the story of their relationship, but no gifts seem to be exchanged. And then there's the third camp, the Valentine's deniers. These folks proclaim that Valentine's is a made-up holiday. It's promoted primarily by Hallmark to sell stuff and that ignoring it is the only way to go. Valentine's Day Grinches, we might want to call them. One particularly strident colleague of mine who lives in this camp, she posted this yesterday. We don't do Valentine's Day. Too much heteronormative oppression and forced consumerism. But you do you, boo-boo. <laughs> I love how she made a rhyme at the end of it and how she gave permission for other people to celebrate after telling us how horrible Valentine's Day is. <laughs> Classic Facebook post. Now, I understand the resistance, I actually do. It can be a lot of pressure to give an impressive gift or create some kind of an experience on a kind of random day in February. It's a day that can be hard for single people. I had a lot of Valentine's Days as a single adult, I get it. Valentine's Day can bring a lot of pressure to spend money you don't have or to somehow do something extravagant to prove your love. But even with all that, y'all, I cannot give up on Valentine's Day. I love it. I really do. I love thinking about kids getting those little square Valentines for their classmates and putting them in shoeboxes decorated with paper hearts. Do they still do that at school? Oh, good. I love 
I love the candy that only comes out once a year on Valentine's Day, those little chalky conversation hearts and Hershey's kisses wrapped in gold foil and boxes of little fancy chocolates that you have to eat hoping that you don't get one with coconut in it. When I was growing up, the senior pastor at my home church also loved Valentine's Day. He always made the Sunday nearest to Valentine's Day a big party. And he often put little Valentines, like the kind that you get at school, in the bulletin. He had a Valentine put in every single bulletin on that Sunday so that every person who came to worship that day walked away with a Valentine. And he signed them all. And this was at a time when the church was worshiping like eight or 900 people on a Sunday. Now you had better believe if it was not COVID and y'all were actually here in the sanctuary and it was Valentine's Day on a Sunday, I would have signed a Valentine for you today. Thanks, COVID. Now George, my senior pastor growing up, he always made it clear that we had permission to celebrate Valentine's Day in church because love comes from God. All love is from God. God is the author of love. And when we love one another well, we are reflecting the love of God into the world. So hallmark aside, that makes Valentine's Day and celebrating love a religious holiday. Now, where did George get such an idea? Did he make it up? No. He actually took it directly from the scriptures. Listen to this passage from 1 John chapter 4. The writer says, Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. There it is. Love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us and his love is perfected in us. There it is. And then the author summarizes the whole thing just a few verses later in chapter four, verse 19, he says, we love because God first loved us. We love one another because God loved us first. And when we love one another well, we are reflecting God's love back into the world. And that's good, and that's holy, and that's powerful. So Valentine's Day, a very religious holiday. Flowers and chocolate are not mandatory. Finding a way to reach out to someone with words of encouragement and support and care, that's the way to celebrate today. A sweet or funny poem or a good joke doesn't hurt either. Today's actually another holiday, and Penny helped us think about that already in the children's time. So today is a double holiday. The second one, though, is a holiday that the world beyond the church cares nothing about. And to be honest, many people inside the church don't spend a lot of attention on either. But it is still a special day, and that is Transfiguration Sunday. This is always the last Sunday before Lent, Transfiguration Sunday. And there are not any special cards for you to go buy at Walgreens this afternoon. No special candy. But it is a lovely remembrance nonetheless, and not unrelated to Valentine's Day. Really, they're connected. I'll explain. But first, let's just make sure we have the story in our heads. Transfiguration story comes in the middle of the three synoptic gospels. 
And synoptic means seeing with one eye. That's what we call Matthew, Mark, and Luke because they tell the story, much the same story in much the same way. And in each of these gospels, the story of the transfiguration serves as a kind of a hinge point. Before the transfiguration, Jesus is up teaching in Galilee, traveling all around the towns of Galilee, doing his ministry there. After the transfiguration, he starts to head south toward Jerusalem. And the story begins to build toward the conflict that will occur there that will result in his death. Luke says that after coming down off the mountain, Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem. In fact, right before our scripture today is the first time that Jesus tells the disciples that things are not going to turn out in this story the way they may be thinking. Mark 8.31 says, He began to teach them the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected and be killed and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly. Now Peter, chief disciple, he was not pleased with this news that Jesus gave and he tried to rebuke Jesus. That didn't go very well. Then six days later, Jesus told Peter and James and John to go on a hike with him, just the four of them, far away from the crowds, far away from the other disciples. While they were up on that mountain, Jesus was transfigured before them, meaning his outward appearance changed, not his inward substance, just his outward appearance changed. The scripture says he started to shine and his clothes became dazzling white. Penny, I love that image of sort of snow blindness as an example of whiter than white, whiter, brighter than anything on earth. Anyone who had read the Hebrew Bible and heard this story would know immediately that this was an appearance of God. Up a high mountain, that's clue number one. God is always hanging around on mountains in the Old Testament. And the shining, the bright, bright light, that's also a clear sign of God. God is associated with light all through the Hebrew Bible. So here in the midst of Jesus' transfiguration then, two other people appear with Jesus, Moses and Elijah, who just happened to be the greatest prophets in the Old Testament. And they both had encounters with God on mountaintops. And also both of them had kind of mysterious deaths. Moses was buried by God, so no person knows where his grave is. And Elijah, the scripture says, was taken up into heaven with his chariots. So Jewish thought was that these two guys, Moses and Elijah, they were probably just hanging out with God. They were as close to God as you could get. And here they show up on this Galilean mountainside next to Jesus. And then finally, to make sure that we know that this is a really holy and a really important moment, a voice rings out from heaven just like it happened at Jesus' baptism. At that moment at the beginning of his ministry, at the Jordan River, the voice you might remember said, you are my son, the beloved, with you I am well pleased, speaking directly to Jesus. But here at the transfiguration, the voice says something similar, but to a different audience. This time the voice is speaking to the disciples. It says, this is my son, the beloved, listen to him. As the transfiguration takes place, the disciples, Peter, James, and John, they are super confused about what's happening, as you would be. They knew Jesus was special. Peter had already called him the Messiah. But that doesn't mean that he knew Jesus was this special. That he was the kind of special where you could see the very glory of God radiating out from his skin. That Jesus was the kind of special that he would get flanked by the two greatest prophets in Jewish history. 
But Jesus was the kind of special that he would have the very voice of God radiating blessing from heaven. That is special beyond special. This is a moment of revelation for the disciples and for us. A unique moment in the gospel story where we see Jesus for who he plainly is, which means that there's a part of Transfiguration Sunday where our response is just to sit, like the disciples did, in awe before God. Jesus is God. He is holy divinity. He is majesty and power and might. He is brilliance and beauty. He is grace and truth. He is transcendent and completely unlike us. Jesus is full of the very substance of God, and when we catch a glimpse of that, all we can say is, wow. It will be important for the disciples to know this about Jesus as the rest of the story unfolds, to know how powerful he is and how holy he is as they watch him be arrested and tried and crucified. But the the shining light from Jesus, that's not the only thing that reveals to us something important about who Jesus is today. The voice from heaven also shares something crucial about Jesus' identity. In that moment, you remember, God calls Jesus beloved, beloved. Now, remember, as Christian people, we understand God to be Trinity, We say God is three persons in one and one person in three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which is mysterious and a hard thing to explain well. It's impossible, actually, to understand fully the relationships between those three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But one thing we can say for certain is that their relationship is a relationship of love, of love. The inner nature of God, the basis of the Trinity, is a relationship of love. In today's story, we have for the second time God the Father calling and claiming God the Son and calling him beloved. That's the word. The Father loves the Son. The inner nature of the relationship of God is love. Does that matter? It matters a lot. Because it helps to correct some misperceptions that we can carry around with us about who God is and what God does in the world. Now, last Wednesday, I was teaching confirmation, and we tackled some of these misperceptions head-on about who God, people think God to be. And let me just tell you, the eighth graders in our confirmation class, they were awesome at exploring and articulating why the images that some people carry around for God are off base. We have got a tremendous confirmation class and I cannot wait to celebrate with them on the first Sunday of May. Well, on Wednesday, we talked about some of the views that people have of God, how some people might view God kind of like the Wizard of Oz, like God is distant and unapproachable, like God's the man behind the curtain who's uninterested in the affairs of daily life. And that's not who God is. We also talked about how some people view God as like a giant vending machine, thinking that if they just insert the right prayer, if they say the right things at the right time, then they'll get whatever we ask. They ask. We request God delivers the end. But that's not who God is. Other people view God as a giant judge 
as someone who watches, waiting, just waiting for us to make a mistake, and then God will judge and God will punish. This image of God is mean and vindictive, and that's not who God is. And yet others view God as some kind of cosmic life coach, simply there to make everything great and positive in our life, helping us live our best selves and only come to success. In this view, God is all about positivity and achievement, and that's not who God is either. God is none of those things. Instead, what we have here in the scripture is a clear picture. God is a loving parent. God treasures Jesus as the son. Their relationship is defined by love. Jesus was sent in love, and he carries the love of God to earth and embodies that love to the world. Jesus is beloved of God. So that means that everything that happens to him, especially during Holy Week, is still covered over by God's love. It reminds us that Jesus does not suffer and die because he's being dutiful or he's being commanded or forced. He's not being punished or abandoned or rejected by God. The transfiguration reminds us that Jesus is beloved, claimed and loved by God. It is the defining feature of their relationship. Which is why Transfiguration Sunday is perfect for Valentine's Day. It's a day all about love. We love because God first loved us. We love because we see that love is at the very heart and central to the nature of God. We love because Jesus loved us with this holy, divine, powerful, majestic, brighter than bright love that has saved the world. God is love, and God loves us. So we love God in return, and that gives us the power to love one another. And you know I'm not talking about flowers and chocolate love, though if you want to give a little flowers and chocolate today, okay. But I mean all the love we give. The love between parents and children, the love between siblings or cousins, the love of friends, the love of neighbors, the love of coworkers, the love of strangers, the love of enemies. All of that love, every word, every act, every intention given in support of another is a reflection of the self-giving love that lies at the very heart of God. So, happy Valentine's Transfiguration Sunday. My challenge for you today is a simple one, celebrate. We've gathered already here to worship God and consider together the awe and the majesty of God. So in response, let's do something to celebrate today, to celebrate love. You choose who and what, you choose how big or how little, but connect with somebody that you love today in a real and meaningful way. And know that you're doing it in response to God's unending love for you a love shown to be at the center of God's own triune being. Thanks be to God. Amen.